our study of the, we have studied the letters of Peter. Today we're going to study the letter that Jude wrote. But before we get into the scripture reading, I want to just set a little foundation here. During the, the Civil War, one-third to one-half of the currency in circulation at that time was counterfeit. At that time, the, reason, the problem with there was approximately 1,600 state banks that designed and printed their own bills. Each bill had a different design, and it made it difficult to detect the counterfeit bills from the, the real bills because there was actually 7,000 different varieties of real bills. So in 1862, there was a national currency that was adopted to try to resolve the counterfeiting problem. However, it didn't take long after the national currency was adopted that all of a sudden counterfeiters started counterfeiting it. And it became necessary to take enforcement issues. On July 5, 1865, the United States Secret Service was established to suppress the widespread counterfeiting of this nation's currency. What I just read is from the website of the United States Secret Service. Because we have a serious, in this nation, we have a serious issue with with counterfeiting. According to their website, counterfeiting of currency is again on the rise. And that's primarily because of the easy access to to very high-resolution scanners and high-quality printers. So now even a kid can take a $100 bill, scan it with a digital scanner, print it on a laser printer, and make it almost come out to look like a real $100 bill. That's why now you, you see the, even the $5 bills, they change them from time to time and they put watermarks and different, different things in it because counterfeiting is such an issue. And as troubling as the currency counterfeiting is, there is a far worse threat of counterfeiting, and that's counterfeiting of the gospel. The early church faced that, and much like counterfeiting of currency, that threat is on the rise today. And what I'm talking about is, is those in the world that's, that have set out and seek out to counterfeit the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, before we get to our text, let's look at who the writer of our text is today. We're reading in the book of Jude, and the author of the book identifi- identifies himself as Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ, and a brother of James. The name Jude, or more literally Judas, was so common in the New Testament that it would almost be impossible to identify who this person was. It was a, like John or Mike. So it was a very common name. Now, except that we know that he was related to someone named James. And the key to finding this person's identity is through that right there. According to Mark 6 and 3, Jesus had four brothers. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. The brother James did not accept Jesus' claims at first, but eventually he went on to lead the church at Jerusalem, and most likely that's when he wrote the book that bears his name, the book of James. Judas linked his name to James and only called him James, so obviously this James that he spoke of was somebody that was so well-known that when he said, I'm the brother of James, that everybody would know who that was. And that would be James, Jesus' brother. So we probably would conclude from this that the author of Jude, his real name is probably Judas, not Judas, one of the 12 apostles, but the brother, one of the brothers of Jesus. It is probably a sign of Jude's humility that he didn't drop the name of Jesus. Oh, yeah, by the way. I'm Jude, the uh, Jesus' brother. Instead, he kind of went about in a around-the-way manner saying, I'm the brother of James, and then everybody could take from that that James was the brother of Jesus, and that established a relationship. Let's start a reading in Jude th- verse 3. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith 
that was once for all entrusted to the saints. The key word in the book of Jude is the word faith. In one sense, faith can can mean one's beliefs or trust. In another sense, it re, refers to the beliefs of the body. We talk about our faith that we hold on to. It's not necessarily faith that there is a God. It's our faith as our body of beliefs that we hold on to as a group. And the second use became increasingly prevalent as church leaders and scholars attempted to defend the truth against false teachers because here they had to start dividing themselves from these false teachers. So they would say, this is the truth or this is the faith. And therefore, people knew that these people were teaching one thing and we're teaching another thing. And what we're teaching is we refer to as our faith. And he made it clear in his letter, as well as many other writers did, that faith is evidenced by more than just words. Our faith is not something we speak. When we say we speak of our faith in Christ, it's not something we just speak, it's something we live. It's a transformed life where the believer has this intense desire to reach out to other people in the world and offer them and show them what they have. Jude used a phrase in in verse 3 that says, he said his readers were to contend for the faith. The Greek word that's rendered contend was originally used to describe those that opposed each other in athletic events, those that debated in court, and even those that, um, that fought in war. So when he said contend for the faith, he wasn't just saying, just hang in there, just hold on. He was saying fight for it. To, to literally to stand up for what you believe, not be just beat down and, okay, I'm just going to try to hang on until Jesus comes. No, he's saying contend for the faith. If you know what you believe, then hold on to it. Proclaim what you believe. Let people know what you believe. And that doesn't mean we walk around all the time with a chip on our shoulder just trying to pick a fight over the Bible. That's not at all what I'm saying. I'm saying is if we know what, what we believe, we know what our faith is, we know what the truth is, then we should hold on to that and stand up for it. Jude, verse 4, verse 8, verse 10, and then 12 through 13. For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, This is where he gets into the the heart of what he's talking about here. Those have slipped in among you. These aren't people that are just blatant sinners. They're not just blatantly proclaiming some totally false message. They've kind of snuck in. They are godless men who change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ as our only sovereign and Lord. In the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do not understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown around by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. In verse 3 that we read first, Jude said that I wanted to just sit down and write you this letter and tell you to to contend for the faith and, and keep going and fight for what you believe in. But I felt like I had to really write about something else. That's pretty much the short version of verse 3. And what he really had to write about, apparently there was so much false teaching going on. But the problem was it wasn't just people saying that Jesus Christ never lived. It was close enough to the truth that people actually slipped in and and the church people started believing it. It goes to the, the whole foundation of counterfeiting. If this morning we decided as a group that we're going to start counterfeiting $100 bills, we would probably want to make them the same color as a $100 bill. 
And we probably wouldn't put Mickey Mouse's picture on the front. Why? Because we want it to look real. We don't want it to be an obvious fake. And I think what Jude was saying here is these people are not obvious fakes because they have just enough of the truth to fool you. And that's why there's so many cults and other false religions that if you listen to their message, they'll mention Jesus. They'll even pick and choose choice scriptures out of the Bible. And it's just enough that if somebody doesn't know the Bible and has never studied the Bible, it's just enough for them to go, well, that sounds good to me. And you got them. The problem is this book has to be taught as a whole. You can't just pick certain parts out that you like and take the rest and throw it away. One of the things that Jude wrote about these false teachers is that they tried to use the grace of God to justify immorality. In other words, by saying, you can go do anything you want because God's grace covers your sin. Well, that's true. God's grace does cover our sin. But that's, grace is not a license to sin. Grace is something that is there when we do sin. And it's like Paul, Paul told the, the people he was writing to, he said, where there, is, where there is sin, grace does abound. And they asked him, well, should we go out and sin more so there'll be more grace? And Paul goes, no. It's not what I meant. I'm just saying that if there is sin, then grace, if you need, if there's more sin, then there'll be more grace. But they took it and twisted it into something that was immoral. They also denied the lordship of Jesus Christ, who Jesus really was. Jude called these men dreamers. And it's possible that he did this because their revelations they received they might have received them in dreams, and that's how they presented them to people. We see in, in modern cults today that have been established, a lot of the, the things that are not particularly from the Bible, a lot of people tell them they, come, they came to me in a dream or in a vision. One of the things when I was in college, when we studied cults, one of the things that every cult has in common, there's several things, but one thing in particular is an extra-biblical source of authority. If you look at different cults, you will see that they have not only this Bible, but then they'll have another source of authority too that's like an addendum to this Bible. Well, the writers of this Bible made it clear in a couple places that there's not to be anything added to or taken away from God's Word. So when we start walking into this belief that God has given somebody a whole new revelation and it goes against what this book says, then we're walking into trouble. As far as the dreaming part, just as a side note, not every dream we have is from God. Sometimes when you have a dream, it's just a dream. It can be a result of too much pepperoni on the pizza. Um, too many action movies. You know, we can't look at every dream and say, that was from God. That must mean... And I'm not saying that God doesn't send people dreams to, to tell them things. I do believe that. But I think we have to be careful of our source and interpretation of dreams. There are some people that take everything they ever dreamed and they try to read something into it when there's really not much to read into it. It's maybe a recap of their day in a different kind of way. So these deceivers lived ungodly lives. They, discorned, they scorned divine and human authority. They scoffed at angelic beings or celestial beings. They spoke evil of heavenly powers that they did not understand. Since I don't understand it, I'll just speak bad of it. That's one way of doing it. Jude went on to say that they operated on impulse like animals. And he went on to say even further than that, that these are the very things that will destroy them. He equated these, these false teachers to stains on the linens at their fellowship meals. It was a common thing. They would gather together and they'd have these fellowship meals like we have done recently and are going to have this next Friday night. And 
he said, these guys are stains on the linens of your fellowship meals. He called them shepherds that feed only themselves. Now think about that statement for a minute. A shepherd that feeds only himself. If a person is truly called to the ministry, truly called by God, they will not do it for what they can get out of it. Stay with me for a minute. Because here's why. A shepherd that only feeds himself is soon to have a lot of dead sheep. Likewise, a pastor or a minister that does not do what they are doing, all right, let's back up. A pastor that does what they are doing for the notoriety, the fame, the money, the things, if they are doing that just for those reasons, when the people of their flock or congregation have needs, I believe that they're going to find themselves in the same situation with a lot of dead sheep. Because if the sheep are not getting fed, if it's all about the fluff, and it all comes back to the pastor or the the minister or whatever he happens to be, the one that's benefiting from this whole situation, and the church is not, eventually the church can't be blessed. Now keep in mind, these people that Jude was talking about were leaders and teachers. They were people that were were standing in front of groups of people and proclaiming these things. Jude went on to liken them to, to clouds without water, trees without fruit. They were barren. They had no substance. They looked the part, but they produced nothing. And he, I like this, this analogy here. He said they were, they were like trying to navigate a ship at night by a shooting star. That'd be difficult because you lock your little thing in on that star and then it moves across there. You, you have no direction. And ultimately, their end was a dismal one. And some would say, yeah, but that's, that was the early church, but this is now. It's not like that now. And I would, surprisingly enough, I would agree with you. It's not like that now. It's a whole lot worse. Amen. I considered showing something a few weeks back, and I didn't do it. And so today I'm going to. And I'm sure there will be some that when this little film clip is over, you probably won't want to hear another word I say. And that's okay. So before we watch it, let me say a couple things. I love each and every one of you. I also feel I have an obligation to teach the Word of God. If anything I say does not match up to this book, then I urge you not to pay any attention to it. If you can't find proof of what I say in this book when I speak of spiritual things, then don't listen to me. Go to Pastor Magine and say he's speaking lies. And I guarantee you he will call me down. But with that being said, if what we're fixing to look at and fixing to talk about doesn't set well with you, I will not apologize. As long as I say, and what I say is in line with the Word of God, and I'm sure there were people that read Jude's letter in that day and were offended because he was talking about some of their friends, maybe, maybe even family members. Well, wait a minute, you're, you're talking about a false teacher. That's my brother. If he's teaching a false doctrine, it's still a false doctrine. It doesn't matter who he is. And as sure as it was happening in Jude's day, it's happening even on a greater scale today. But here's what it comes down to. If somebody is trying to lead believers away from the truth of the Word of God, I will not be silent. Let's watch this clip. Have you heard about the largest church in the world? The first service was March 3, 2008, with an attendance of over 300,000. 
The attendance is now over 2 million, and they conducted the first ever mass trance on March 17, 2008. What do they teach? Who you are requires no belief. Heaven is not a location, but refers to the inner realm of consciousness. The man on the cross is an archetypal image. He is every man and every woman. The leader's website teaches these lessons. My mind is part of God's. I am very holy. My holiness is my salvation. My salvation comes from me. Let me remember that there is no sin. Do not make the pathetic error of, quote, clinging to the old rugged cross, unquote. The only message of the crucifixion is that you can overcome the cross. Have you heard of this church? Or maybe its leader? Years ago, she denied Jesus is the only way. One of the mistakes that human beings make is believing that there is only one way to live That's and right. that we don't accept that there are diverse ways of being in the world, that there are millions of ways to be a then human being and, and many ways, no, but many paths to what you call God. That and her path crazy. might be something else and when she gets there she might call it the light. But her loving and her kindness and her generosity brings her, if it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. And I guess the danger that could be on that, I mean, it, it sounds great on the onset, but if you really look at both sides, I there could possibly be just one way. What, what about Jesus? What about Jesus? Today, she has turned her millions of adoring fans over to New Age doctrine. Christians are letting this into their homes and are being deceived. Hello again, everyone. Welcome to week number three of our New Earth web class. And again, I um, thank you. Eckhart Tolle thanks you for joining us as we bring students and seekers together to discuss our latest book club selection, Eckhart Tolle's A New We Earth. did something last week that was uh, unprecedented. You said it's never been done before on television where you just sit there in silence. I, I, and I thought a lot of people responded to the sense of connection from that. So you want to do that again? Yes. Let's do that again. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you're going to lead us in silence? And okay. simply become aware that you are breathing. The air flows in and out and you feel yourself breathing. Air flows in and out of the body. In reading books such as Tolley's, I've really op it's really opened my eyes up to a new way of thinking, a new form of spirituality that doesn't always align with the teachings of Christian Christianity. So my question is to you, Oprah, how have you reconciled these spiritual teachings with your Christian belief? I've reconciled it because I was able to open my mind about the, um, the absolute indescribable hugeness of that which we call God. Um, I took God out of the box because I grew up in the Baptist church and there were, you know, rules and, you know, belief systems and doctrine. And um, I happened to be um, sitting in church in my late 20s, and I was going to this church where you had to get there at, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning or you couldn't get a seat, and a very uh, charismatic minister, and everybody was just, you know, into the sermon. And uh, this great uh, minister was preaching about how great God was and how omniscient and omnipresent and God is everything. And then he said, and the Lord thy God is a jealous God. And I was, you know, caught up in the rapture of that moment until he said jealous. And something struck me. Just, and I was like, uh, I think about 27 or 28. I was thinking, God is all, God is omnipresent, God is all. And God's also jealous. Jealous, God is jealous of me. Um, and something about that didn't, didn't feel right in my spirit because I believe that God is love and that God is in all things. And so that's when the, the, the search for something more than doctrine uh, started to stir within me. And I love this quote that uh, Eckhart has. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes in uh, Chapter 1 where he says, Man made God in his own image, the eternal the infinite and unnameable was reduced to a mental idol that you had to believe in and worship as my God or our God. Jesus says you are the light of the world. That means 
moment, you are the consciousness in which the world appears, is seen. So you believe what happens to us at death when the body dies? I you don't, don't have a belief. I don't give it any thought. You don't. God, in the essence of all consciousness, isn't something to believe. God is. Yes. God is. And God is a feeling experience, not a believing experience. That's right. And if, and if, you're, if that your religion is a believing experience, if God for you is still about a belief, then it's not truly God. No. That's what you're saying. Let me say this. This is not meant to be a personal affront against Oprah Winfrey. This is not a personal thing. However, if you were watching that kind of stuff and you are taking in, taken in by the charm, charisma, sincerity, popularity of Oprah, it doesn't change the message. Just to clarify a couple things. There aren't millions of ways. The Bible says that there is one. Jesus said, no man comes to the Father except by me. It's written also that there is no name under heaven given among men, no other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. If there's no other name, then, and there's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ, then there's not millions of ways. The idea is not get there any way you can and it's okay because you're there. The problem is there's only one way to get there. Any place you get other than through Jesus Christ won't be heaven. And you can see why I hesitated showing that because... The Bible does say he's a jealous God, but not he's not jealous of me. He's jealous to the point where he doesn't want us to love another God. We are not to have other gods before him. Right. If a message that is taught and has preached and it doesn't line up with the Word of God and it's not from God, then it is only from one other source, and that would be from the devil. And the reason I mention this is because this is what Jude was confronting when he wrote his letter. There were those that, that came in and they slipped in. If you, want, if you think back to some of the things here, they spoke of Jesus. They used the term God. And there's enough of it that some Christians will go, oh, I could see that. And like the one lady said, you know, you just kind of have to change your beliefs from Christianity. The devil will use whatever means he can to destroy your soul. For a lot of you that have been saved for years, and you've been living for God and walking this way for years and years, there's a lot of people across the country that this morning have lived for God for years and are very firm you would like to think, in their beliefs or their faith. It's not very likely that the devil is going to attack them today when they get out of Sunday school to go down to the bad part of town and buy some crack and go home and smoke it. He's not going to tempt them on the way home to stop at the 7-Eleven down here and rob it. But if he can use this kind of stuff, Amen. it's just as effective. I'm not saying that Oprah is the devil or the Antichrist. I'm saying that she is being used to deceive millions of people around the world. This is what Jude wrote about. This is what John wrote about. It's what Paul wrote about. Peter wrote about it. It happened then and it's happening now. If a person lost out on their eternal reward for following false teachers then then I believe that false teachers today will cause people to lose out on their eternal reward. 
And there are some that would say that I'm just trying to keep people from being enlightened. I assure you that's not the case. There are some that would say, well, well, maybe he's just going to be missing out on something if I stop believing in what he's teaching. Maybe it would affect his paycheck if he left High Point Church and followed after this belief. To that, I will say this. First of all, I teach the Word of God. If someone stops believing what I teach is truth, not my opinions, but what I teach is truth from the Word of God, then they have not stopped believing in what I teach, but they've stopped believing in the Word of God. I'm not saying that I am the all-given authority, but I try to be very careful when I say something that it matches up with the Word of God. So if you reject what I say, you're not rejecting me. I won't be offended. As long as what I said comes from the Word of God, that's what you're rejecting. The other point is, if somebody leaves High Point Church and and goes out and follows after something like that, it won't affect me financially either because I don't get paid. So there's no financial reason for it. I do this because I feel God has called me to do it. And that's the only reason. There's no gain in it financially for me. But I doubt seriously that if anybody, that there's anybody in this clip that could say the same thing. Jude 16 through 23, and we'll go on. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. Boy, I can think of a lot of people that fit in that. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who will divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in your most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them. To others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. With the reading of these last few scriptures, it should be obvious to us by now that this was a very serious threat to the early church. As we have studied in recent weeks, Peter wrote of it in 2 Peter. And most of Jude's writing in, in the book of Jude is devoted to this stern denunciation of religious frauds. And I think it was for the one reason to convey the seriousness of the threat. He wanted people to get the point that there are people out there trying to deceive you and make you lose your eternal reward. There are people that will pretend to be from God and lead you astray and take you away from God and take you away from your faith. And I believe that Jude and Peter felt so strongly about this that they left no gray area. We read back in Peter that there was light and darkness. The truth was the light. Anything else was darkness. Light and darkness cannot coexist. Truth and non-truth cannot coexist. You can't take Christianity and water it down with a little bit of enlightenment and it still be truth. These false teachers were grumblers. They lived after their own desires. Sure, there was enough God stuff in what they taught to make it seem real enough. But that's the whole idea of a counterfeit. They flattered others with powerful words and and seductive words to get what they wanted. That's what it said. They flattered others with their words to get what they wanted. Think of a moment for the, of the prosperity movement. The success of the prosperity movement has really been greed. Stay with me for a minute. Don't throw anything. First, it comes from the one that teaches the message, the greed. Send me your money, and God will make you rich. Or send me your money, God will save your family. Send me your money, God will heal your husband. 
Well, God will do those things anyway. We don't have to go through someone else to receive those blessings from God. That's number one. And the listener hears that. This is where greed happens on the other side. The listener hears that and often thinks, this is just what I'm looking for. If I had money, I wouldn't have all these bills. And if I didn't have all these bills, I wouldn't have to struggle. And if I didn't have to struggle, I wouldn't have all this stress. So I'll send him $100. Well, the problem is, really, in those situations, for the most part, the one that sees, that experiences this financial blessing is Pastor Bob that got the $100. I don't know Pastor Bob, so I'm just using Pastor Bob. Because not only did he get your $100, he got 10,000 other people's $100, and now he has a million dollars. So his blessing came to him. But see, you could have had your blessing without sending him any money. Now, I'm not saying don't give to ministries. I'm not saying that at all. If you go out of here and say it, it's not true. I'm not saying that God doesn't bless our giving. He does. But why did we give it? Was it so our bills would get paid? Or because we felt in our heart to do it? Was it greed on our part? As often it is. Or was it because we felt like there was really a need and God led us to do it? Not somebody manipulated us or coerced us into it, but God led us to do it. You see, salesmen can, and I am one, so I can, I can say this. Salesmen know the words to say to get your money. It's a truth. And of all horrible things, I only use car lot. So in most people's eyes, I'm the worst kind. But let me tell you this. There are many people today calling themselves men of God, teachers, preachers, pastors, that are really nothing more than really good used car salesmen. Because they know what to say to get your money. Now again, if God leads you to give money to the church, God bless you. Do it. And God will bless you abundantly. I have one thing I know for a fact. In my years, I was taught very young to, to give my tithes, tithes, to give in the offering, to give to special offerings for missionaries and those that, that have tremendous needs. And God has blessed me for it. But I didn't give it for that reason so that he would bless me. God has blessed me because I did it from my heart and I knew that was the right thing to do. And he will do the exact same thing for you. I'm not taking anything away from God and his blessings this morning. That's exactly right. The Bible also speaks of seek you first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. But you seek God first. But what happened in, in a lot of organized religion today is people are seeking the blessings instead of seeking God. And the idea is totally twisted around because the Bible is very plain that we are to seek God. We are to put God first. All the things of this earth are temporary. Even Solomon himself wrote, this is probably the richest man that ever lived and ever will live was Solomon in his day. And he said when it was all said and done, after he'd experienced all these things, anything he wanted he had, he had thousands of wives and concubines and had everything that you could possibly want. And he sat down at the end of all of it and said, it's all vanity. None of it really means anything. Why? 
Because the only thing that really matters is God. And for somebody to come along and say that there is something else, you don't have to believe in God. You can believe anything you want, and as long as you believe it with all your heart, you'll make it to heaven. It's not true. Remember, Peter told his followers, a couple weeks ago we were studying, he said, to support and show hospitality to those that were teaching the truth. I didn't write that. It's in Second Peter or Third Peter 1. He also went on to warn them not to support or even fellowship with those that taught things that were trying to undermine the truth. And I believe that includes going on to the webcast of this right here. We are to give anything we do. We are to do it because it's in our heart. When we are full of the Spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit resides in us, it will lead us and it will guide us. And that's why we're supposed to do things. Not because somebody coerced or told a sad story or told of something that these poor people that needed this, so send me your money. That's not why we do things. We do things because we're led of the Spirit if the Spirit is in us. I had a teacher in college that he was a very, very good speaker. And he taught different theology classes. And he made something very clear, and I've I've never forgotten this. He said, it's not an emotional thing. He said, because I could stand here today and tell you a story about my dog that could make you cry. But it won't get you to heaven. Jude reminded them that the apostles of Jesus Christ had warned them that these people would come. They would come for what? To divide you. That was his words. To divide you. There would be those who follow natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. In other words, they are seeking after the things of this world, not after spiritual things. And if we really pray and we really stay full of the Spirit, when we hear these things, we'll go, wait a minute, that doesn't sound right. And we'll go to the Word of God and look to see if it is. While Jude was slamming these charlatans, his directives to the church were mostly positive. His strategy went beyond just simple doctrinal error and ungodliness. He urged his readers to grow in their knowledge of God. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. How do we know when we watch something like this if it's not true? It's because we have grown in the knowledge of God. We have built up our most holy faith. We have prayed and we've got this relationship with God that something goes off and says, that's not right. He went on to say that we are to reclaim those whose faith might be wavering. The plan for confronting spiritual error is just as effective today as it was back then. We are to do as Jude instructed those of his day. We need to pray. We need to study the word. In fact, David wrote in Psalm 119 and 11, Thy word have I hid, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. We can do the same thing today. When we have not just read what this Bible says, when we have not just memorized certain little scriptures, but when we have taken it to heart and we've made it a part of us and the Spirit of God lives in us, it will help us to not sin against what we believe because through prayer and study of the word of God we will develop a sensitivity that is greater when God speaks to us 
The better your relationship is, and I've used this before, there could be a nursery full of babies back there. But I guarantee any of you mothers that are here that if it was your baby that cried, you would know that baby because you know that voice. When you have a close relationship with God and the closer the relationship is, you recognize His voice among all the other voices that might speak. I'm not talking about an audible voice from heaven. David, David, David. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about that little something in your heart, that little something in the back of your head that says, that's not right. Why is that important? Because we need God's guidance to engage in spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6 and 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We're not fighting with people. The things that come against us, it's not the people that we're against. It's the spirit that they represent. I have no problem with Oprah Winfrey. I think she's done a lot of great things. She has given away tens of millions of dollars to help people. As a person, that's very, very great. But it's the spirit that comes with that in the things that we saw this morning that we fight against. Jews said in verse 20 that we are to build ourselves up. If we look at the culture of that day, we can understand a little bit more of why he wrote it that way. This, the cities of those days, how did they protect themselves? They built up walls. The stronger cities were the cities that had the higher walls or the thicker walls. In that day was the the dawning of the of what we recognize as the Olympics now. And there was a lot of athletic events. And it was important for those people that participated in the athletic events to build themselves up to where they could win. So building oneself up, and for us to build ourselves, it represents safety, and it represents being to a point of strength to where we can be victorious. And if we are to engage in spiritual warfare, then we have to build ourselves up spiritually. John 16 and 13. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. When the Spirit comes into your life, it will guide you into truth. Without the Spirit in your life and without the Spirit of living in in your heart, like we have said several times this morning, how will we know the truth? Truth is what gives us victory. Truth is what sets us free. In John chapter 8 and verse 32, he wrote, You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you want to be victorious, find the truth. If you want to be set free, find the truth. Because when you have the truth, there is no more defeat. There is no more bondage. That only comes when the Spirit of God is living in us. The enemy will come against us. The enemy will come against you. That's a given. It's going to happen. But how prepared we are is up to us. It's kind of like hurricanes. We know that eventually... Over the course of time, if you live in Florida long enough, eventually there's going to be a hurricane come your way. So which one do you get ready for? All of them. Right? You don't say, I'm just going to wait for the big one. Well, you don't know when the big one's going to come. So you get ready for each one that comes. And if spiritually, we don't know which time the devil's just going to really just smack us upside the head with something. So we have to stay prepared all the time. The reward for overcoming is eternal life. That's what Jude wrote. 
Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Now, I will tell you this. I think Jude was very careful what he wrote here because it's something that is so true that often we forget about. We will see those in our congregation or our brothers that, are, that go to church in other congregations or, or wherever they might be, just Christian people that we associate with. We will see people from time to time that will slip, maybe even fall. And in verse 22, Jude said, be merciful to those that doubt. If somebody came to me this morning and said, you know, I saw that, that little clip you played and I don't really see anything wrong with it. I'm not supposed to go, well, then you're stupid. <laughs> oh, that would be real Christian, right? Jude said, be merciful to those who doubt. Why? Because mercy might be need, to be need to be shown to you sometime. It might be you the one that has doubt sometime, and you need that mercy shown to you. Remember, we don't kill the wounded. Jude was very graphic in his description of what we need to do. He said that we need to snatch them from the fire. What fire? I believe literally he was talking about hell. And I think if we look at our lost community, if we look at a fallen brother or sister in the light of this, without Christ they're going to hell, would we take our calling a little bit more seriously? See, it's too many times it, gets, it get, gets brushed aside as, you know, we have to go reach our community because they need to know the love of Christ. Yes, they do. They need to know that Jesus loves them, that Jesus died for them. Yes, they do. But the end result is, if they don't, they're going to go to hell. And I think Jude was very graphic when he said, snatch others from the fire and save them. But we forget that. Would it make us be more prone to go out and knock on somebody's door and invite them to church or to witness to somebody in the grocery store or at the gas station if we looked at them and said, if they don't have the Spirit of God living in them, they're going to go to hell? Would it change the way you approach that? Yep, that's right, because that's the truth. Jude said to snatch them or to save them from eternal death. Show others mercy mixed with fear. The mercy part we've talked about. Why the mercy? Because someday it might be you that slipped. It might be you that's fallen. That somebody needs to come to you and show you mercy, but mixed with fear because they don't want to see you die and go to hell. I like that mercy mixed with fear part. Because it's not all about going up to somebody and smacking them in the head with the Bible and say, you're going to hell. No. It's mercy mixed with fear. So we have to do it in a way that shows the mercy of God. God loves you. Here's, here's what it really should be. You don't have to go to hell. There's a gift that is for you, and it's of eternal life, and it's of salvation. It's already paid for, and all you have to do is just accept it. It's interesting how Jude closed out this letter. He spoke of hating even the clothing stained by the corrupted flesh. Now, there are some people that would take this and say, well, that's really talking about you shouldn't wear short sleeve shirts and you shouldn't wear open-toed. No, it's not. No, it's not. It was a reference to the Old Testament speaking of the laws of when somebody had leprosy. So unless that person with short sleeve shirts has leprosy, it has nothing to do with this. Because in the Old Testament, the laws were, if you had leprosy, you had to walk around in torn clothes, your hair all messed up, 
And you had to let everybody around you know that you were unclean. If somebody walked towards you, you had to say unclean. So they would stay away from you. And leprosy was not a sin. But a person that had leprosy was considered ceremonially unclean. And the comparison that Jude was making here for us is that those that follow after those, those people that came in and, de- and deceived them and s- taught them some things that weren't true to got them away from their faith, that belief can be infectious. It doesn't mean we go kill them. It means that we're cautious when we approach them. It means that we know that we have what it takes to stay on course in our life so that they don't draw us away too. So we have several categories of people that we've looked at today. We have the false teachers, the spiritually fit, the lost, and those who have fallen. And the spiritual battle is ongoing between these different entities, between the powers and principalities of the world and the followers of Christ, and the devil will stop at nothing to win. He's always working on it. And the one tactic that we've read in several places that was used in the early church and it's still being used today is to teach something that is close enough to the truth to deceive you so that you lose your eternal reward. These false teachers, they distort, they manipulate the word. And maybe there's very little that you can do to stop false teachers. One thing we can do is not watch them not support them, not follow after them. And then you have the spiritually fit, and that should be us. We become spiritually fit through prayer, through studying the Word, through hearing the Word taught. And when we do this, we become more sensitive to the leading of the Spirit. So that it helps to lead us. Because remember that scripture that says, when the Spirit has come into us, it will guide us into all truth. And then you have the group of the lost. Those are the ones that have, they've never heard of the love of Christ. They have never heard of that free gift of salvation that has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's a gift for them to receive for free. And without it, they're doomed to an eternity of destruction. And you have those that are fallen, those that at one time might have lived for, for Christ. They, they might have had a tremendous walk with God. And, and then something came along. Not even necessarily a sin. It could be just as Jude was speaking of today. They've just been led astray. They heard some flowery words that sounded kind of good. And they got off track from the truth and of their faith and it got watered down with enlightenment and they're no longer following the truth. Whichever category you might be in today, I have good news for you. We can be victorious. We don't have to be defeated. Jesus warned us to watch out for false prophets They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And we see it so much today that people will come to you and and you turn your TV on and you turn it to what you think is supposed to be the Christian channel, the good stuff, and here's somebody that comes across as this wonderful person in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. And I'm not saying everybody on TV is. That's not what I said. I'm saying that there are some that are. The only way you're going to know the difference is by being spiritually fit. By knowing what the Word of God says and by having the Spirit of Christ in you. We do not have to fall prey to the wolves that come to destroy us. We do not have to be 
come prey, to the wolves that come to destroy your family, your neighbors and fellow believers. The victory is ours when we are full of the Holy Spirit. Would you bow your head for a moment? Lord, today I ask that you would help us to take what we've heard and that we would just make it a part of us, Lord. If there's any doubt, Lord, help us to just find the scriptures to to reiterate that this is what your word says. Lord, help us to stay on track with our faith and, and what we really believe and what it takes for us to inherit that eternal salvation. Help us not to be led astray. Lord, I ask that you would just help each one of us to strive to be filled and overflowing with your spirit. Lord, not for our glory, but so that we can be led and and we can be guided by your spirit and we can be led into truth. And Lord, I ask this morning that you would help us all not to follow one another, but to follow you. Lord, help us to always keep our mind and our eyes focused on where we're headed. Lord, show us those around us that don't know your love. Give us boldness to reach out and witness and touch those around us. Lord, I ask that we could become great witnesses for you because we have so much love in our heart and the Spirit leads us and guides us. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.